You're listening to Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Welcome back, guys. The bizarre, the beautiful, the amusing, the frightening. You'll experience it all with those amazing animals. On Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Tonight we're going to talk about the Wendigo and the PTSD that it caused my own PTSD specialist, C2. We're going to talk about the giants of Kandar and the Nephilim. We're going to talk about what it's like to fucking do all kinds of shit tonight. So stay tuned and smoke the fuck up. (laughs) Brought to you by... Since its introduction, more people have used Crest to prevent more cavities than all other fluoride toothpaste combined. Count on Crest for a future of good checkups. Not brought to you by Crest. Hmm. They say that's the sound of a Wendigo. I don't know about that. Could be a kid with a fucking Casio keyboard for all I fucking know. Oh, man. So, the story with this episode (laughs) is that uh, I've been working with C2, and C2 is my PTSD specialist. If I wake up fucking crazy, I'm supposed to record with him, and he's going to balance me out and and get the fucking show out of it. So I woke up crazy the other morning. And he got me through it. Wow. What the fuck? Um, but, uh... Jesus. Um... (laughs) I got through it, but, uh... It turned into a story about his own PTSD that he ended up experiencing. With, um... A Wendigo, apparently, in Canada. He's gonna tell you more in depth about it. It came from Spooky L.A. episode number 13 from the second season of Adam Air MDGED. Go back and listen to that. Still a cult classic. (laughs) And uh, I wanted to go ahead and put this episode together because this is what we actually caught was me questioning him about the PTSD that was caused to him and his team. And I was right. Because you're not going to take down something like a Wendigo right in front of you, dude. And kill it brutally. And not have some kind of PTSD. I'm sorry, dude. And uh, C2 ended up thanking me. So it starts off in the middle of the conversation. Where I'm telling you not to feel sorry for me. Not sure what I was talking about, but just kind of follow it out. All right, guys, I'll see you in a little bit. I don't want your fucking, not you, but out there in radio land, you. I don't, I don't want your fucking sympathy, okay? I want a realistic look at what's going on. And that's why I got C2 on the show, because he can do that without emotional value, where my ass is riddled with emotional value, <laughs> and will fucking, like, let you know on the PTSD end... But now I got a balancer, see? You don't just hear me fucking drifting off into the void, you know, which 
I figured, you know, eventually would cause some kind of David Koresh or fucking Mooney Colt kind of reaction. I'm not trying to do that. So if I got C2 on the show, then that prevents any kind of cult reaction that would come out of my own personal hatred for a lot of shit, dude. Also, you want to instruct other people. You've told me that, too, to show by the damage you take to help prevent it or help others. So, I mean, don't discount yourself then. I won't, you know, but like I said, you know, it's just, it's a rare opportunity to have a PTSD specialist. And, uh, you know, um, we did the episode Failures together. Oh, that was cool. And that was fun. And... You know, we did a, a couple together, and then um, I didn't realize that you had actually worked with people who have PTSD. So, like, uh, and just like a long ass, you know, track record of doing it too. Well, you know, I was overseas off and on for twenty years in undisclosed places, and I'm dealt with a lot of PTSD in myself. Have used it to help others, and I'm sure I inflicted my share upon the world, but. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, everything's a balance, being a Libra, you know, that's how we are. <laughs> that is how we are. It reminds me that I, that I give a fuck about shit, I guess, <laughs> you know? It, I, you know, my superpower for being vulnerable, and it's yours too, it's just harder for you to actualize at this point, is that I always joke that I was patient like a tank, and somebody's like, what the hell does that mean? And I was like... Well, it just means that I know I can take enough damage to actually let myself be open to experiences and that if it's too bad, I can freaking annihilate it. And you have a lot of that same feeling. You leave yourself open to a lot more experiences because you have survived so many negative experiences and you are still searching for a positive experience. So the ability to be vulnerable and trust your ability to survive if it doesn't work out is something you have subconsciously so far, uh, but you just haven't developed full trust in yourself. But the fact that you do constantly expose yourself is not a sickness. It is a desperate search for some humanity among humanity. So, I mean, never give up being vulnerable. You know, you get smarter with it over time and learn how to deflect the blows of idiots mentally and physically over time. But uh, you have the right path. Anybody else hearing this is like, you know, most of the dysfunction people have is the desire to be vulnerable, to be heard, to be witnessed, and, you know, to truly feel witnessed and heard. You really got to actually show part of your soul and part of your mind, part of your body, everything. And then most people are pretty damaged and have a lot of issues just from life and the complexity of it. And they tend to not be the best at accepting that. And one of the reasons I work with you so well, Adam, is simply because, you know, I've sat through the middle of the worst storms you got, and I'm just in my tank and going like, it's cool. <laughs> it's no Wendigo. Wendigo, <laughs> <laughs> girl! Anyway. <laughs> Dude, I'm never going to forget this fucking Wendigo story, right? <laughs> like, it's just... No matter what we're talking about, and you're sitting in your tank, did you guys have tanks when you had, if you had a tank, you would have just blown that thing away, right? Yeah, but I don't think they'd allow us to have a tank in Canada. We would have been making us use business bullets so we wouldn't actually pollute the land, which turned out to work in our favor, so, you know. (laughs) Oh my God. Did it have elk horns on it? 
Um, no, actually, this you know, horns had long been sheared or you know, entropied off or cannibalized. It's kind of hard to tell. And <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, forget for people just here in this episode, man. I'm just going to tell you what, what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> there is an episode in the, uh, what was it, the second season, I guess? I think it was, Don't, was it Don't Squeeze the Shaman or some other one? No, it was the, uh, if you guys go back to Spooky LA episode number 13, that's what it's called. Uh, I'm pretty sure something like that <laughs> without looking at it. <laughs> You're curious at the skinwalker. You didn't know it was a skinwalker. Right. I, I, okay, there's a skinwalker, the ghost of Robin Williams. That connects to the Elise Lamb uh, investigation because he's the ghost of Robin Williams is who brought it up. And yeah, I, we were part, <laughs> and we were part of a follow-up team that had uh, dealt with such events and we actually did get to review the property about a year and a half after the whole event. So Exactly. And then while you were we were talking about that, you brought up the Wendigo thing which connected to the Skinwalker because they're both Navajo. Oh yeah. The world is a beautifully screwed up place of continuity if you look at it. <laughs> Alright, can you tell I'll just like can can we recap that Wendigo episode? And can you just tell that that story to these guys? Because I just want to fucking hear it anyway one more time. Well, I'll bullet point it down a little bit. Um, a, a while back, uh, about Hurricane Katrina time, if I remember correctly, we were laying in the foundation for the diamond mines up in Canada, which you now see in the Ice Road Truckers show that they, I don't even know if that's going anymore, but we laid in the roads and the diamond mines before all that infrastructure started. And during that time period, we had uh, communications and a transmitter shack that somebody is stationed in to actually collate and transmit out, and they said they were under attack by a wild animal. We grabbed our gear and headed that way. We got there, something tearing through the cinder block. And it got about halfway through the cinder block there. On, what was it? Right side, actually, because it was getting towards later day and the sun was shining on it. First, it just looked like a bear tearing it. We got close, and that wasn't a bear. It was a giant... I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell the height because it's scooped over, but, uh, you know, it was staring in there, and, like, we just had screw it, and then we rigged our M4s and uh, shotguns, and uh, I think Mark loaded a, yeah, Mark was the one who loaded a 40-millimeter canister grenade in his 203A under M4, and we went in and just shot the shit out of it, and uh, it didn't do too much against it. I mean, you could see it get taking hits and stuff, but... The shotgun started working real hardcore, and then, uh, which was kind of weird. And then Mark popped the 40-millimeter uh, oh. canister down there, tore it apart, and he got up there and just started plugging some shots into it with the shotguns until it didn't move. And Holy shit. Thinking real bad, and it was actually, like, not blood. It looked like a viscoid kind of clearish gray gel, and the bone structures just seemed a harder version of it. And after mm. about... 17, 18 minutes, most of it was actually dissipated except for the skull fragments. And we bagged up the skull fragments and treated it as a hazmat. But luckily, no one got sick or anything from whatever was off-gassing. And skull fragments turned out to actually have some cesium in them, but it seemed to be a cesium occur from decay, which is unusual for a bone. And later on, I know it's like, I'm going to skip some. You know, that stuff disappeared. I have no idea, dude. Uh, representative from company got it. And you, and that's okay, because that leads into like, 
the, the main questions that I've had for you um, that I know that I haven't asked. Uh, were, were its arms all fucking long in front of it? Like, like as long as the rest of its body or some shit? Like a, a kind of walk right like an ape, but not knuckle dragging like an ape, but the knuckles were closer to the, way closer to the ground? One thing I did notice about it that was unusual is the pelvic girdle was actually wide and aligned with the spine. And why that's important is that means that it could walk as a biped for a long time because if a quadruped stands on its back legs, its hips and pelvis aren't designed to support the viscera. And so it causes great discomfort. So what I did find interesting is the hip girdle before most of it actually deliquesced into slime and stuff like that, or I, I don't even know. But before I went away, I was able to look at some of the anatomy and I'm pretty conversant in it. And so it did show signs of highly persistent bipedal movement. The shoulder joints were interesting because they actually had uh, articulation of sorts, which I couldn't identify because by the time I was able to see them, they're pretty well getting gone. But it really seemed as though it had the ability to um, go on all fours, but not designed to. So it did seem something that was designed for great speed. And in doing so, I had articulation in the shoulder that was pretty novel and nothing short of an anatomy major or uh, pretty forensics or something like that could really follow it. The interesting part for all of this with me was when we had no idea what we had dealt with. You know, I dealt with weird stuff overseas and that's different time, different place, but um, we actually, are not afraid to confront stuff like this mentally. And so we started asking a lot of the local tribes and finally, actually, uh, we did get some intel back and these creatures are supposed to manifest near elk. And some of the tribes up there believe that the shape of the elk's horn or antlers would actually be enough to bend reality to allow this thing through, it pops through, rips off the elk's head because with due to conservation of matter, it can't stay here. I mean, that is also kind of based on some physics, too. So by ripping off the elk's head and slamming in on it, somehow it's able to use that to overcome conservation of matter and be persistent here. But during that process, somehow it actually um, screws with the bone structure and we start seeing cesium starting to occur in that bone structure, which is uh, something I can't explain. I've gone through and, you know, I've worked with rare earths. I know more about radionucleotide and half-life decay than most people. So never did figure that one out, but apparently when the skull, it would literally just kind of use up the skull and if it found another person or elk or something like that, or any skull it could with enough mass, it'd rip it off and put it on and replace the one that was almost used up. And due to the fragileness and actual like nature of that skull, I think it was probably on the tail edge of itself. Might've been why he's going after the communications area. Uh, you know, it's, I know it sounds improbable and unlikely and crazy, but I mean, like, no, you know, I believe you. I know you're not a liar, dude. You know, yeah, I mean, but you know, everybody else can, you know, who cares? It's not, it's not our business what they think about it. <laughs> you know, is that the lead didn't do too much damage to the damn thing. I mean, it went in and out or in and stuck, but the thing that really screwed it up was the bismuth shotgun pellets because bismuth actually has a half life. It's very, very, very long and next to nearly indetectable, but. Something about the bismuth rounds did a whole bunch of damage to it, whereas the lead rounds didn't really do that much. The canister round from the, um, the 30 millimeter canister round from the M203A, that thing's just got enough power and enough kinetic force to just shred stuff down. So, I mean, 
all in all, it was an interesting effect and radically different from all the Wendigo and what I later found out were called Dogman stories and stuff like that. But I don't know. So I kind of have a doubt with some of the stories, but in other stories, I've never heard of uh, any of that classification of other than normal entity that um, needed a head to stay here. <laughs> wow. Dude, okay, because <laughs> what color was the fur on it? It was almost like Vanta Black. It was very, very light absorbing, but, and there wasn't a sheen off it. It just kind of looked more dull and almost hard to look at, you know, fuzzy like a black light. But it wasn't a black light. But it was because of the way the fur was on it that was meant to deceive the eye or whatever. Yeah, it just looked like it absorbed light. When we got closer, I couldn't really observe that effect anymore. So I don't know if that was an active effect or if the damage had disrupted the effect or what the hell was going on. Because when you hear about these guys in Navajo or whatever, they're not usually black, right? They're like white or... Yeah, and it makes no sense that there would be a black creature in an Arctic area to a lot of people. But if you look at it, uh, if you know the terrain up there, that terrain actually is brownish and black with silty mud and muskeg, which is a type of ground up there. So it makes sense that it could actually hover into the bushes and get down really low and flatten out and just look like part of the earth structure up there to casual. And be good movement at night because when it gets dark at night up there, you ain't seeing nothing. And who knows, since this was summer, it could have a seasonal coat shift for all I freaking know. Mm, you know, like I feel like, okay, <laughs> maybe it's not even a Wendigo. Maybe it's like a totally different other creature too, you know, because... <clears throat> You know, it just seems like it could be like from the fa like a family of Wendigos, or like it's like the uh, like a different kind of just like there's a Sasquatch and a Yeti. Oh yeah, I mean we we kind of after researching and figuring and aligning all this stuff, which we didn't have knowledge of beforehand. Actually, it was kind of a shock to actually find some of this stuff aligned the traditional legends, but. uh that seems to, those occurrences of the head one that needs a head only really occur way, way up north. And then you get further south and you get to the more traditional cannibalistic spirit that drives people to hunger, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so I kind of wonder if this um, entity we encountered up there was actually more of the original protoform and that legends, variants, or even hybrids of it have occur further and further south because... This one wasn't tricky, deceptful. It didn't really show a whole bunch of uh, higher brain function. And it had a sloping forehead that was dramatically sloped. So that means its free co front cortical tissue is actually compressed and doesn't have a lot of uh, like high knowledge for human reason. Or, you know, I'm probably about as smart as a pretty smart dog, maybe. But, you know, just the brain structure or the way it could have been positioned in there. And once again, the interior was differing shades of gray viscid with some weird colored lines and specks in it. And like I said, the bones seemed to be a much harder version of this viscoid material. And it almost reminded me of Ballistic Bell, the way it took hits and the way it kind of went apart. But the off-gassing smell was fucking horrific. It Dude. Smelled like a <laughs> oh, it smelled like what? It smelled like a cross between methyl mercaptan, and, uh, which is that stuff they put in natural gas so you smell it, so like massive farts. <laughs> and like a weird ammonia yeast brewery smell. God, Jesus. It, it didn't smell like rot, and it didn't smell like, you know. The whole, sto the whole story is fucking crazy. The whole story's 
It, you know, I know it's true, but man, I know it's true, but God, I can only like picture, get the visual, and you're very descriptive in 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 you know layout and character development. You know, as a you're like the cartoonist companion, man. You know, if I had. <laughs> This is what cartoonists want, you know, to fucking nail the character so that the storyline moves fluidly. You know, and you, and you do it in a way. I love that, though, man. The, this guy that you guys took down, I call him the dude, you know. He's like the big Lebowski of, Sass, of uh, <laughs> Wendigos. <laughs> he's like, I just want the dude just wanted his rug back, you know. <laughs> that's, that's what he was looking for, right? Now, okay. Well, speaking of guilt, I mean, since you since you brought it up in this scenario, and how many guys were on the team? Uh, we actually had seven. We were short one because we honored him back because he had actually taken a bad exposure to hypothermia. Because what he was just horrible up there, right? This fucking cold no, ass fuck. He worked in the water past his limit because we were blasting pilings. The diamonds occur in lakes up there. Mm. Um, he worked past his limit and actually gotten into a hypothermic seizure when we rethought him because he just got too cold and couldn't get out. So we yanked him out. And, uh, that can put some stress on the cardiovascular. And we just wanted to monitor him for a week. And, he, you know, give the guy a week off. It's fine. And he didn't do anything stupid. It was just a bad series of events. And so. And then he happened to miss this thing. He, yeah, but, you know, he was on radio with us trying, you know, he was on radio with us, so he was there in spirit. And, okay. You know, we standing by if we needed That's anything. Cool. I don't care about that guy so much. What I care about are the guys who actually went, because what I'm getting at is, like, did any of these guys develop any PTSD experience in this motherfucker? Since the show's about PTSD, and we've been going we into... Did. We all did. You all did? Like, did you guys... What was that like for... To, to be part of what, like six people, you said? Because he was the yeah. seventh. The guy in the water was the seventh. There were seven of us. We usually operate an eight-person team when we go out. But uh, there were seven of us and uh, the calm guy in the shed. Not that I don't care about him. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. As far, as far as the story, what I cared about was the Wendigo PTSD. Like, that's what you guys went through, right? And speaking of that, the guy in the comm shed actually uh, was rotated out with no prejudice, meaning that um, he was allowed to quit his contract, get full contract, and get the fuck out. He was too far gone in the head, and, you know, we brought him back with us. Is that what the hypothermia did to him on that, that end? It oh, fucking... man, I, was a, I was a different person. The guy, oh. the guy in the communication shed, we finally got out, you know, after everything was secure. He wouldn't come out for like... Oh, I see. Right. So finally, we uh, through a combination of just like, look, we're here. We got the big guns. Things over there. He was on a windowless side, so he couldn't really confirm anything over there. And I'm just like, we need to get you out of there in case there are more. Come on, it's getting to get it dark soon. And uh, finally, after about it only took about 20 minutes to get him out, but uh, we had two heavy duty uh, rigs, and I'm not going to specify the make for a couple reasons, but we got him in there and. Uh, he didn't say anything. We were just like, hey, you cool? And he's just like, shook his head and got in the back. And, you know, he actually leaned against one guy and just shaked and shuddered. And big man, man. And, you know, 
credit to the other guys that worked on our team that he wasn't like, oh, gone. You know, he just put his arm around the guy that was shaking, just held him all the way back. And we got back and he, we had con access. So those freight containers converted into uh, personal barracks for us. You know, we had about two or three people per one separated and he wouldn't sleep alone or walk to the mess area or do anything without an armed guard. You know, so he was just nice guy, but he was so far compromised, he couldn't do his job. And we all actually affidavited him out of there with no prejudice. And the rest of us, though, we actually, uh, seven of us that were involved, and, you know, the other guy came in, too, because he had heard all of our radio traffic on the other end. And he had his own mild form of PTSD because he thought he was going to lose seven of his friends to something that he had no idea or any control over. And... You know, our first couple meals, we didn't say anything to each other. And actually, we didn't really talk about it for a couple of days other than work-related paperwork and stuff. And That sounds extremely my- stressful shit, dude. Like, in just such a unique uh, situation, man. Yeah, because we're trying to get this whole project and get a runway in for planes to start bringing in machinery. we got to get roads leveled and laid. And now we got in the back of our mind that there's something out there that can as a freaking bullet sponge. And it looks like a fucking John Carpenter movie now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, first couple days, we just kind of, other than business, not really talked about it. And the third day, we actually, uh, me and Mark got together and I said, dude, we're kind of, uh, we're not working well. We need to get together and figure it. And we all sat down and Mark started, I followed, and we just, t- and I, you know, we just told exactly what we saw and exactly what we felt, and, you know, we're pretty honest with each other because we work together overseas, too, and our lives depend on each other, so there's no point in being full poop, and, uh, you know, we all saw about the same stuff, and the ability to share that trauma and see everybody's angle on it led to curiosity among us and that curiosity then led to exploring the phenomena and in exploring the phenomena we had less fear of it because now we believed it was something that we could understand or at least develop a system against and so we overcame our PTSD by openly acknowledging every aspect of it among each other and then utilizing everybody's fears opinions observations as a way to go about making a system that we would feel comfortable working again with knowledge of what we could do in the future. So that was the only way we really overcame that. And I know a lot of people had some shakes and issues about that for a while. And we wouldn't go anywhere without a a T-man team and heavy heavy armament. And uh, so I know the admin was pretty pissed off and really fought us on getting an extra supply a 40 millimeter canister or flechette rounds for the 203As, but we just made that a, hey, we do this or we leave, and they did it because they know we're a good worker. So it was an interesting process to overcome it, but, you know, I'll say that we actually learned to deal with it as opposed to get better because I still look over my shoulder to this very day all the way down here in Colorado. I bet, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, plus you know I know what's out there too. (laughs) More, more so, you know. You plugged a lot of spotlight here on a episode about your stuff, but yeah, that's PTSD in my case, and one way that we came together as practiced individuals to be. Well, there you go, guys out there in uh, Radio Land. Uh, you're never gonna really hear about Wendigo PTSD elsewhere, but it does uh, remind me that um, of the guys coming back from. Afghanistan. Whether the story is true or not, because you don't see the photos 
and we only hear the stories, you know? Giant. Um, yep, but the giant of Kandar, or however you say it. Is that how you say it, Kandar? Well, kind of. There's a lot of pronunciation. Sometimes right, okay. Pronunciation. I'm a honky from Ohio. It's... <laughs> Yeah, these guys going against. I'm laughing about the, you know, but it's not funny. <clears throat> it's the, you know, literal ne Nephilim out of the Bible, right out of the Bible, and right out of that Wild Bill Cody story or Buffalo Bill or whatever the fuck his name was, that Buffalo Trader motherfucker yeah. who traded off the fucking uh, Buffalo to uh, all the Southwest uh, Native Americans throughout the. Any, you know, from Montana to Colorado, I don't know what his name was, but, you know, he would just herd these guys up. And, uh, yeah. wait, hold story until a year ago. Right. But that, um, the same description that's in that story that I'm getting at, uh, where the, uh, the cowboy buffalo herder dude, you know, had met up with the Native American, uh, family and the man's wife came out with a femur bone that was seven feet long. And they and uh, <laughs> and and Bill or whatever Cody, you know, we'll call him Cody for shit's sake. Uh, he says, uh, "What the hell's that?" <laughs> and the and the uh, the husband says, um, "Well, she's presenting you with this, and this is like a giant that we my tribe had killed that had uh, kept eating the buffalo and taking that them away from us and, and hurting us." Until finally, we fucking surrounded his ass and just killed it. And uh, yeah, story, they actually were able to use small arms fire, probably via force, to actually rip the shit out of it and kill it after it killed one of them. I mean, you know, I think they were probably given specific instructions though on how to take it down, and that reminds me of why that thing would have had that kind of timing, you know, to to actually hurl. Come out of the cave. Well, you got, what's the ultimate timing? It's like right under a second with this, you know, gigantic 12 foot, what are they calling it? 12 to 18 feet tall. Giant with red hair coming out with this. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be about three meters, kind of like about nine, 12 feet long, I guess. But I mean, like. An object that big, made of a medium weight wood that was sharpened and just fire hardened and thrown with the force of the, the body that could be nine to 12 feet tall, would exert if actually three to four tons per square inch, and all of that per square inch was focused on a tiny thing. A plate and bulletproof material is not going to stand a chance against that much force. So I think that's why I was able to completely run through the first individual despite 3A armor and a, you know, a skin. Okay, because they just need a sample of its DNA, right, to make a super soldier, a super Nephilim soldier? The story I heard, and I didn't hear this until a year ago, was that, uh, and this is from the guy who was supposed to have uh, experienced the event and released it, um, This they had two helicopters come up, one to evacuate the group and one to evacuate the large thing and one of the guys was directed with that and was taken to an airport and put on a C-130 and then that's the last he saw of it and then they were all NDA'd and sworn to secrecy non-disclosure agreement for those who don't know NDA and uh, 
that one guy who finally released the story uh, decided to violate the NDA because he has been a long time out and it occurred quite a while ago, like 2005 or something. Right. He figured it's time for that one to get out anyway. And, you know, it's strange because there have been other reports of giants. And the striking thing to me is that they always seem to have red hair. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have six fingers. And weird side note for anybody listening, extra fingers on human hands is called polydactyly. And the gene for that is actually dominant. Please feel free to look that up. So somehow our race of humans has very carefully selected to make sure that dominant gene went away. Hmm. And then anybody that would have been unfortunately born with six digits or whatever was automatically looked as a, as a Nephilim when they really just had some kind of genetic disease. Is that what you're kind of saying? Well, for some reason, humanity selected against a dominant gene which caused polydactyly, which is really weird. And actually, since that applies almost worldwide, that's pretty inconceivable. But I mean, I've looked at the genetics, I've studied myself. It's open knowledge, it's in all the codex and all the series for genetics and stuff like that. Polydactyly, multiple fingers, is a dominant gene. How weird is that? Um, yeah, it is kind of weird. I, uh, because it's hard to kind of follow that too when I've never heard it before. But I'll say what I'll say is, uh, is that, you know, uh, the Nephilim account and uh, specifically in the book of Goliath or whatever, when, I don't know if that's its own book, but wherever that is, it's very descriptive about the six fingers and six digits and how tall they are. Um, I think that's kind of the giveaway. Because if you find a human that has six uh, fingers, and that they're our size, you know, and you're a big dude, you're bigger than me, you know, but, uh, you know, if they were your size and they had that six digits and you had six, uh, fingers and six toes, you know, um, what they'd be like, well, he's, he's a Nephilim, right? You know, would they like just experiment on you just because you have six digits and that's what matches the Nephilim gene? Cause, um, when they talk about Nephilim, they come off like these guys that aren't, they're not that great. They're these wild giants that fucking eat the Anunnaki in the Sumerian text. And then... Very interesting, I need to do before I forget here, and in the, in the theme of the show, and just because I find it interesting, we're talking about for a race with no knowledge of genetics to actually select against a dominant trait because it has such negative associations and they're so traumatized by it, only shows a very interesting worldwide racial trauma to anything. Exactly. That's kind of what I was trying to go for, yeah. Like it automatically just, you know, you have the unfortunate shit about being born with six fingers and shit, you know, because even in the uh, Torah, they give the number of the giants. It's the only place where they give an exact number I thought it was like uh, 407,000. So you got to imagine that if they are these guys from Nibiru and they're like already space cops that have spirit, super spirit powers, then, you know, the offspring has super spirit powers too. When they mate with the uh, Adamic slave women, you know, and um, 
and they uh, impregnate them with these giants, you know. These guys were all like these crazy-ass beings that existed, you know, in every, every tribe on the planet has gods. So I guess if you did the math on them, I guess that's what it would come to is about 400,000. And I just thought of, on a physiology note, is, uh, and I'm not familiar as you are with the mythology, but were the Nephilim supposedly immune to pain? I'm just curious. No, I don't think they were immune to pain. I think what happened was they just thought their shit didn't stink and they were kind of out of control. And according to the Sumerian mythology, the part that matches with the infamous Genesis 6-2 is when Marduk, who, you know, is the spawner of the... He's the spawner of the honky race, right? <laughs> According to the Sumerian text, he spawns the first honky. But that's what it is. It's Genesis 6-2. That's where it comes from. And this white supremacy that's over the entire planet right now actually spawns from Genesis 6-2. Because that's when Marduk is on Mars. And he hears about the Anunnaki, what's left of them. Because they've already become obsolete. They've already created the new Adamic slaves, you know. Uh, with my loose pronunciation, guys, like I said, I'm from Ohio, so if you can bear with me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, basically the Ajiji on Mars, they're above the Anunnaki. They're still around. They're still processing gold from Earth on Mars into oxygen for Nibiru, if you heard that. That's exactly how the order goes. Uh, Marduk takes 200 of his most badass motherfuckers after he hears that what's left of the Anunnaki have been knocking up the Adamic slave women. And they're boring these giant kids that are eating the what's left of the Anunnaki already and all this other shit. So Marduk gets pissed. He leads a rebellion against Nibiru, and Anu knows it, and he can't get in his way, because Anu, that's his, Anu's the leader of Nibiru, or the, le the male leader, which is different from the female leaders of Nibiru. And, you know, here comes Marduk uh, with his team, like a bunch of badass bikers. He calls themselves the Sons of God, and it's, it sounds a lot like how we mimic how bikers mimic uh, Marduk back in the day on these like metal chariots on the road. That's how fucking Marduk would have been coming out of Mars, based just like that, like a fucking biker gang. And uh, that's what they were called, the sons of God. And that's what it says in the Bible. It says it. It says, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they took those which they chose. Well, the reason the reason Marduk did that shit was because he was like, fuck that. I'm going to take whatever Adamic slave women I want back to Mars. He knocks his up, okay? So he has to bring her back to Earth because that's where she's from. Nibiru high command law is very strict and they have to have the birth on the place where the, uh, the chick's from. And so Anu and Anki and Enlil and Cool and the gang, they're all there, like I said before, man. I've said it on other episodes, but I'm saying it again. 
And it's important because people need to know why whites are out of control on the fucking planet. And I'm a white motherfucker, and I'm going to speak about it freely. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, because uh, I can. Because fuck these guys. You know? I'm going to jump in here real quick on something I find interesting, is that uh, the reason I asked about the lack of pain perception is the tallest man in the world, who is over eight foot, the human body is not really designed to go over about six and a half feet because anytime somebody does, they usually have neuropathy because the nerve signals just don't transmit. They're just not designed to transmit that far beyond that uh, reach, about six and a half, seven feet. It's the max height we can get before we see nervous system communication problems. But I'm wondering if these large individuals had such a detachment and level of neuropathy that they would actually have lack of feeling in some of their extremities and be able to take an incredible amount of damage in that process. And another interesting fact you brought up was these uh, larger people eating uh, the other people. And to me, I just suddenly remember the titans of the old Greek and Roman legends that would eat their children, so to speak. And I just Kronos, like Saturn, yeah. Maybe all these titans were actually culturally a large individual that practiced that cannibalism and that somehow held over through a long time of communication in a myth cycle. So just something I wanted to put out there before I forgot or we ran out of time. We are getting close, man. This has been a great filler episode. It didn't go any way where I wanted to go, um, but I did end up calming down out of it. Um, yeah, this morning was rough, man. I had to fucking night terrors all fucking night, you know? And, uh, this is why we had to record this shit. This is my therapy. Hopefully it pays off for you guys listening to it, whoever is listening to it. I'm going to keep throwing this shit up on Anchor with, uh, (laughs) breaking copyrights. (laughs) And putting my own original things up, even though Messenger and Instagram have cock-blocked me on sending so many out in spam boxes now, because everybody kept complaining about it, you know. And I should give everybody a heads up that uh, I will be taking and opening a YouTube channel that will be Adams, uh, and I'll be doing a lot of the technical support, and we're going to start putting a lot of these over to YouTube just simply for a wider exposure and... It's going to take us a bit of setup, but we'll start looking at manifesting that originally in probably about a couple weeks, and then we can go from there. So there'll also be a YouTube platform for the just giving everybody a heads up and uh, hope to see you in every single place. So, what C two said, y'all? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess this is the end of. I guess we're going to just call this one. Uh, what? YouTube. I forget. I'm not Facebook. YouTube. We're gonna be on YouTube. Sorry, I'm old. I'm stupid. You did say it. You did say it. Oh, I thought I said Facebook. I meant YouTube. I was like, okay. No, you said YouTube. Okay, good. I'm pretty fucking sure, unless it's a uh, Wendigo effect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Wendigo Mandela effect. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Oh my god, there's so much that there's so much crazy information in the world, y'all, right now, dude. I we're gonna try to cover as much as we can and uh you know I'm happy for the seventy two hour hold and all that shit that we did, but you know, I'm glad that uh, it's over with. 
And I like this new, you know, and talking about, and thank you for sharing that story. I know that was a personal thing and not to be exploited, but you got to admit, man, that's some original ass shit having a Wendigo PTSD, you know, or. Well, in the theme of the show, I think it's quite appropriate. And I'm glad you thought of that because I was just like, yeah, you're right. That is a trauma. That was a trauma. I figured as much. I mean, you're not going to just see something like that and have to violently take it down. I don't care how much Rambo you got in your ass. It's like, you're not just going to fucking walk away and skate. You're fucking human. Right on, man. Well, I got to stoke the stove because it's about negative 20 up here right now. So. <laughs> yeah, you're freezing your fucking stuff off. No, I just want to not freeze my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, gang, don't freeze your stuff off, and I'll see you here on Adam AdamRMD. GED. And then uh, you want to say the underground cartoon therapy part? Uh, yeah, under, underground cartoon therapy will be on YouTube in a couple weeks. And this is C2. I'll probably be running into you guys more and more often. There we go. We'll get more fluid with our endings and uh, we'll cap it off here. Talk to you all later. That was an interesting ass episode. Uh, well, stick around. There's more uh, more to come, man. But I'll just leave you on this fucking uh, scientific uh, Wendigo knowledge that I had found uh, I thought you might be interested in. It began many generations ago when our mightiest Shirok warrior, Lone Eagle, became overly proud of his many victories in battle. Proud and arrogant. When his confidence led to recklessness, putting the tribe in danger, the medicine man summoned all his shaman's powers and turned Lone Eagle into a monstrous evil man-beast called Wendigo. want to thank C2 for uh, sharing this information with us. These are reenacted sound effects about what had happened between their encounter. Sounds pretty realistic. Oh shit. And remember, people that might be uh, polydactyles, they're just dealing with uh, a ratio of uh, six to eight hundred people out of a thousand have six fingers. So don't be tripping that they might be Nephilim, you know? And I don't know about that giant of Kandor. Its bite must have infected other people. Oh shit. Oh shit. Uh, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, shit. We're Avengers. We can handle it. We can handle anything. As soon as I grab some more arrows. Some scientific. There's a Wendigo in my closet. Oh, shit. What's a Wendigo? Oh, boy. like Hawkeye is going to be Wendigo lunch. Now that's a catchphrase. Uh. 
more comedy. End this. Now. I'm serious. Wendigo. Oh, shit. It's official. I'm sick of these furballs. You're listening to Adam Air MD GED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Uh.